Hey Jeepers, on this week's show, we get a few details about the upcoming compass and Patriot replacement. And we find out that the dealership who sold the Jeep that killed the Star Trek actor is now saying it was his fault. We've got your reviews, we answer your tech questions, and we'll talk about Antenna Link in Radiocon Tech. Tammy's talking about the benefits of Mother's Back to Black. We'll find out about her dip cover swap and how all that went. And later in the show, we'll let you know how to pick the right battery for your Jeep. All that and a bag of laughs are coming up on episode 249 of the Jeep Talk Show. This episode of the Jeep Talk Show is sponsored in part by Crawlbright Performance Off-Road Lighting. Are you still dealing with dim lights that ruin your nighttime adventures? Well, don't put up with Lumen NV for a minute longer. Go to crawlbright.com to see how you can get your rig to light up the night. That's crawlbright.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Tammy on Wrangler. Tony and Josh on Cherokee. So sit back. Strap in. And brace yourself. First week in G. Hey guys, before we get to the rest of the show, just let me really quickly uh, say that all our thoughts and prayers are with all of our friends, fellow Jeepers, and uh, fellow Jeep Talk Show listeners that are in the path of Hurricane Matthew. Hope you guys have buttoned down the hatches and are staying dry. Uh, stay safe and hope everything works out for you. All right, the picks are out and the replacement is in. It's been reported for a while now that the Jeep, uh, the Jeep was dropping the Liberty and Patriot, and the future of the Compass was also up in the air recently. That is until recently. Jeep has revealed that the Compass will be the name for the compact Jeep that will replace the Compass and Patriot SUVs as it celebrates the start of production of the new SUV today in its plant in Pernambuco, Brazil. Plans have already been finalized to expand production in both China and then Mexico to produce inventory to sell here in the States. To give fodder for us in the media and to whet some appetites domestically, I'm sure, they released three images of the vehicle today. Well, this week, actually. The images show a more aerodynamic design than the outgoing Compass and Patriot models with styling cues that reflect those found on the Jeep Grand Cherokee and Jeep Cherokee instead of the boxier Wrangler and Renegade. The Compass was completely redesigned and engineered to use the same platform shared by the Jeep Renegade and Fiat 500X, but it's larger than both, according to the earlier spy photos. So I'm wondering how they're pulling that off. The 2017 Jeep Compass will serve as the next leg of Jeep's global growth strategy. This Jeep represents the heart of the global SUV market right now. Small SUVs are selling well, and they are selling well globally, said Kerry Brower, Senior Director of Content for Cox Automotive. This is an extremely important vehicle that will help to form the backbone of Jeep's global presence for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to see one of these for yourself, well, you're going to have the opportunity here very soon. FCA is expected to reveal the North American version of the Compass in November at the Los Angeles Auto Show, which is happening November 18th through the 27th. Hopefully we can get a fan of the show out there to hook us up with some insider picks. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Well, to boldly go where no dealership has gone before. Yeah, that's probably a bad pun. The local dealership that sold Anton Yelchin, the Jeep that fatally pinned him to his house's gate this last June, is alleging that the actor was responsible for his own death. On Wednesday, California-based Valencia CJD, or Chrysler Jeep Dodge, filed a response to the wrongful death lawsuit filed by Yelchin's family. The dealership is claiming that Yelchin's misuse of the car is what caused his death. In court documents, the car company alleges that, the Yel that Yelchin's death was the result of his, quote, misuse, misapplication, or damage of the product or modification, repair, and or maintenance of the product involved. Something tells me that he wasn't in there fiddling with the e-brake. 
Despite the voluntary recall of the vehicle in 2016 due to a gear shift design that made it difficult to tell what gear the car was in, the dealership still claims that the vehicle was up to regulation at the time it was sold to Yelchin. Quote, all products produced by the defendant were in conformity with the existing state-of-the-art, and as a result, this defendant's product was not defective in any manner. I would tend to disagree, but this is what the documents are saying. Valencia's CJD also alleges that Yelchin's parents did not preserve the vehicle as it was at the time of the accident, therefore compromising important evidence. Yeah, I'm sure they weren't going to just let their son just be left there, pinned against it, while investigators come and see what the vehicle was doing at the time. Well, according to the documents, the dealership is requesting that the car be dismissed or the case be dismissed with prejudice. The response comes just two months after Yelchin's parents filed the wrongful death lawsuit. And if you've been living under a rock for the last three months or so, Anton Yelchin, the Star, uh, Star Trek Beyond actor, died of an accidental blunt traumatic asphyxia after he was pinned between his 2015 Jeep Grand Cherokee and the gate of his home in Studio City, California, when the vehicle unexpectedly rolled backwards down the steep driveway. He was only 27. Well, big thanks to all of you guys out there who help us out each and every week by submitting stories for This Week in Jeep. If you guys have a story you think we should be reporting on or you have a response to any one of our stories, by all means, please send us an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com. So I have to admit, I haven't actually read the story. I think really uh, I've caught most of the story here right on the, uh, the Jeep Talk Show about uh, the young man's uh, death by uh, yeah. the, the Grand Cherokee. And I was not aware, it makes sense, I was not aware that he was as, as asphyxiated. He uh, couldn't I, breathe. So I wasn't either. That makes more sense to me because if it was rolling back on you, he was just pinned, I think, what was it, between the gate and the vehicle? Yeah, so there, um, for our live listeners, you guys can see this, but for our podcast listeners, um, you, he's got these like you know brick pillars on either side of his driveway in which the gate is attached to. And um, I, I'm guessing that the gate wasn't automatic or maybe mm -hmm. he had to get out and retrieve some mail. I, in any case, he left the vehicle uh, and went down towards the gate. Um, in that period of time, the vehicle either never got into park or slipped out of park or what have you and ended up rolling backwards and, I'm going to say crushing, but pinned him um, against one of those brick pillars. And, um, and the, you could see that they were, in the in the pictures that were released immediately after the this tragedy, that, that uh, the force of the impact was enough to, to break away some of those bricks. Oh, okay. I don't think that he was crushed to death. I think no. that he was still alive after impact and the the weight of the vehicle against him um, basically suffocated him. Yeah, he couldn't breathe. His diaphragm Correct. wasn't strong enough to pull the uh, the air into his uh, into his lungs. Uh, horrible way to go. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. Th there's, there's no good way, I don't think, unless you're asleep in your bed uh, after uh, living 150 years. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's very sad. Very good on the movies. Always enjoyed him and some of the other movies, uh, the Star Trek movies. Indeed, so, indeed. And, but uh, this is a very sad turn of events that the dealership and, and even FCA, I think, is taking this stand as well. So I'm going to guess that this is going to go well into you know i'm sure there's going to be appeals and further mm -hmm. investigations and everything this is definitely not the end of this well you didn't say that uh that it was dismissed they just requested it to be they dismissed. are requesting it right. be dismissed so no there there will be more to this as uh as more litigation goes on and this is in california right so well the the, the incident <laughs> happened in california so i'm guessing that yeah. the case is being heard in california or being tried in california at least um so, I mean, the dealership is out of California. I don't know that the dealership itself is being sued. There's just a wrongful death suit. I don't know who it is against explicitly. Right. Well, anyway, I'm sure we'll be bringing you more information on this as the uh, story unfolds. Indeed.
You're listening to Jeep Talk Show, the number one Jeep podcast. At my mom's house. You've heard of Jeep Hair Don't Care, right? Well, I'm here talking with people who do. Care, that is. Welcome to Jeep Hair, we care. I am here with one of my favorite people on the planet, somebody I'm very proud to know and call family, my father-in-law, Pete Buttrick, a former maintenance sergeant on B-52s for the United States Air Force. Pete, what do you care about? Well, I care about the veterans in this country, particularly the disabled veterans. I'm a volunteer driver, and I take them from a clinic in Athens, Georgia, over to hospital appointments in Augusta, Georgia. We wait there for them till their appointments are over, and then we drive them back to Athens to their homes. That's really great. Hey, thanks for watching Jeep Hair We Care. Here's some more information. Are you tired of all that noise from those other shows? I think you ought to keep that rig at the mall. Now you can relax to the pleasing tones of the Jeep Talk Show every week. Unless you got Dana 60s and 40. Get the highest audio quality possible with each download. Now, you know, you can use them in with them, with them super swampers. And if you're tired of all that other stuff. Uh, and a thing with a deck of big old tires and a lighter. Then subscribe to the highest quality podcast on the web. The Jeep Talk Show. Available on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher Radio, and more. You guys are getting to give me a beer. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. You are indeed, and if you would like to learn more about the 4x4 Radio Network, all you have to do is head over to 4x4radionetwork.com. There you can find not only our show, but of course the 4x4 Podcast, the Center Steer Podcast, and the Trail Chasers Podcast. It's your one-stop shop for all your audio needs when you need a 4x4 fix. Just head over to 4x4radionetwork.com. Shut up and listen. Shut up. Shut up. So shut up. You don't shut Man, up. Shut up, Shane. Hey. <laughs> shut up and listen. It's time for Wrangler Talk. It's time for G-Mama. Well, folks, finally, after three months since I purchased my Riddler Manufacturing Dana 44 diff covers, I swapped my rear cover. Woohoo! <laughs> you may ask, why did it take you so long? Well, you know, everyone kept telling me swapping my diff covers would be easy. Yes, even Tony and Josh told me that. They had the utmost confidence in me. I just didn't have that same confidence in myself. I must admit the main reason for the delay in the diff cover swap was I was intimidated. I was hoping I could find a mechanic or a jeeper friend to help guide me, but I never found that person whose schedule would work for mine. So this past weekend, I finally decided to take the plunge and just do it. I'm proud to say I did the whole project all by myself. I was even able to loosen those bolts on my own with no hubby muscle. However, once the project was complete, I got a little nervous. I was afraid to drive my Jeep. I feared I messed up and there would be a leak or worse, I somehow freakishly damaged the gears. Well, knock on wood, so far so good. I hope to have a YouTube video posted next week on how I did my install. And I will also have a step-by-step guide on my diff cover swap on my blog at www.jeepmama.com. But, you know, during my research on the Internet, I found so many conflicting opinions about gear oil, what kind, what brand, how much. You know, it can be very hard to wade through all those different opinions and pick the one to go with. For example, what kind of 
oil to use. My dealer at Adams Jeep said I should use 75W140. Now the Jeep manual says 80W90 in the front and the rear, but if you're towing, 75140. Now if you go to Quadratech, um, they have a fluid manual on their website and it states that you can use both 75140 in both the front and the back. Now, the next question was how much gear oil to put in. Some folks said just keep putting it in until it starts spilling out the fill hole. Some folks says, oh, no, 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 don't let it fill, spill out the fill hole. The manual really didn't say how much, so I checked around. And again, on Quadratex and Extreme Terrain, they both have little um, fluid lists. And it listed that both the stock on both of them that the stock Dana 44 should take two quarts. So when I contacted the manufacturer of the diff covers, Riddler, they said just add one more pint to that over stock. So that would have been 2.5, which is what I put in. You can also, some say you can also use um, a zip tie, you'd have to use a clear one, and use that like a dipstick. But I was really afraid to put anything in that hole because... I just, it drops know. in <laughs> and yeah. then you have to take Oops. it all apart. <laughs> that would have sucked. Yes. Um, so anyway, this weekend, my fingers are crossed. I hope I get to the front, which I understand is more difficult because it's harder to take off because there's so many steering components in the way. But um, I'm going to be in soccer mom role for a little bit. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. So anything you'd like to add, comments you have about your diff covers when you change your gear oil, I'd love to hear from you. I'll be posting up um, on the Jeep Talk show form um, at jeeptalkforum.com or you can post or you can email me at info at Jeep Talk show and use the subject line Wrangler Talk. Um, to get more on this story, like I said, go to Jeep Talk Forum.com. It's our new form that we created just for you. It's not your typical form. There's no dumb questions, no flaming, no telling you to go to Google to search. You can find out more about the stories we talk about here on the Jeep Talk Show, information we share with you, and that's jeeptalkforum.com. Hope to see you there. Sorry about that, Tammy. I didn't uh, realize that we already had the uh, go to jeeptalkforum.com in oh. the show notes, and that's why uh, that's why she no, read yeah. it twice, folks. She was she was being I was good. Just reading what I was. Yeah. No, was I'll, I'll fix it up for next time. Uh, just doing what I was told. Don't yeah, beat yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, and I was just uh, I was just trying to take responsibility for it. Um, so uh, I've only done uh, the diff cover on the front of an XJ, and the only thing that was in the way was the uh, tie rod. Uh, that goes right in front of the, uh, the diff cover. Uh, and I didn't have any really any uh, space issues as far as getting to it or in and out. So uh, I don't know what more you may have from the JK. I haven't I didn't look at any pictures before. I, she I got may have to remove one side of the tie rod. Really? Maybe. I just that Riddler might be. I mean, probably not, but. It would make things easier. I I don't I don't know. I, well, it wouldn't be easier on her to get it off though. Well, no, no, it would be easier to get the the diff cover. Yeah, off. but no, she should be Tammy. You should be fine. I I don't think that you're going to have any issues um, with the front at all. Uh, so just ignore everything I said. Okay. Well, no, but it's a good it's a good thing because some people may right. have to do that. 
Uh, it really depends on uh, how much the diff cover sticks out, the replacement diff cover sticks right. out. And, and, of course, you can uh, put the, the new one up there next to the other one and see if it sticks out further than the right. one you have. And, obviously, the one that's in there now fits, so it shouldn't be an issue. But uh, it really shouldn't be any more difficult with the exception of the, the tie rod uh, in front of the diff cover. Uh, it shouldn't be any more difficult. You just might have to finagle things. You're, you're, you may not be able to, you know... You may have to, you know, come over the top for your tool, you know, grab yeah. it a different way. You may not have as much leverage. Eh, you know, little thing. Like, uh, no, nothing big, nothing major. It's like right. work, working around newborn children. You have to work around them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will you- tell you, though, when um, the drain plug. There you go. It's getting late. When I finally got that, it was like right at the point where all the oil is going to leak out. The smell was oh, horrendous. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Oh, my God. Great I smell. almost threw up. There is nothing like uh, like that heavyweight <laughs> oh. gear oil smell. Oh. <laughs> that means it's doing its work. It's scaring yep. scaring away all the water molecules and everything else that we don't <laughs> want in there. Oh, and uh, I I did look, I was doing a little research when Tammy was talking about how much gear oil to put in there, and of course the diff cover uh, manufacturer is the best place to go to get that information because uh, they should know. Uh, obviously, they've they've probably sold one of these things before, so they should have some idea. But if you uh, if for some reason uh, you don't want to go that direction, you can't. Uh, contact them or whatever uh, the amount of oil that you want to put in there should the oil level should be just to the bottom of the axle tube is what I read does that sound correct to you Josh because you want to uh, keep the bearings oiled is what I read yeah I mean some axles can take a little bit more some not as much I mean it's right at the axle tube is a good rule of thumb and that that's enough to where just about any angle you're going to find yourself on, the the gears will stay will stay wet. You'll 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 everything will be you know be be lubricated well enough. Um, there there are some manufacturers that that claim their diff covers can give you a lot more volume and extra court, whatever. I don't think that that's ultimately necessary. I mean, unless you're pushing a lot of horsepower, unless you're doing like the Jeep speed thing, where you're seeing extended periods of time of over hundred miles an hour. Really, I wouldn't worry about it. Your your stock volume. I mean, as long as you as long as you are at the bottom of the axle tube or at the bottom of the fill plug, either one is a good rule of thumb. No matter what manufacturer you're dealing with here. So I guess a higher volume of oil means that it would have a greater heat carrying ca- capacity. It would take it longer to get hotter. Yes, technically. So I guess that would be the reason why you would want more. Uh, oil in there. Well, also for for extreme off camber situations when oh, yeah. you are in a deep hill climb or a deep descent or you are on the verge of teetering, you want to make sure that that again the the gears are going to stay oiled. Now, obviously, any of those situations, you are most likely going to be traveling at a very low speed, so mm-hmm. risk of those right. gears getting dry or overheating is is pretty low at that point. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, I would assume that the the seals at the end of the axle tubes keeps the gear oil in the axle, and then it, when it does go slotches over to one side and one tube starts to fill up. Well, when you level out, it it drains back into the differential. Well, for instance, like uh, on our Dana 30s, um, the seals are on the inside of the differential. There are no seals on the on the axle tubes themselves on the on the outside, anyways. There, the seals are basically at the differential. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, I, I'd put those. Um, Oh, I can't remember the American. No, I can't remember the name of the brand. But I put uh, seals at the end of my axle tubes. U.S. alloy. U.S. alloy. Thank you, American. See, U.S. I had it in there somewhere. 
All right. Well, cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting. It's uh, hard to figure out uh, that stuff sometimes because uh, uh, some of that stuff's in a tube you can't really see in. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that and and you know, getting a bunch of cross information online can also add to the confusion as well. Um, I, I typically find when I'm researching a topic that I that I don't know as much about that I, as I'm comfortable with, um, I, I start looking for okay, what is the majority saying? Right. So if right. I if I if I can find thirty posts that tell me to use three courts, and I'm finding only two posts that tell me to use four courts, well, I'm probably going to go with the one that says three. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm sure it'll be fine, Tammy. I don't think it's that critical what you did. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. I think you're, you're, you, nothing that you did is going to hurt the gears, Tammy. And and unless you literally just left it dry, there's not much that you could do just by swapping the cover that's gonna that's gonna hurt right. anything. Oh, and I did mention uh, to her that she probably wants to uh, check the tightness of those bolts uh, and before she goes off on the trail, and then uh, then again check them in about five hundred miles after you get some. Very vibration. good advice, Tony. That actually uh, is really good advice. Anytime you do sort of anything, whether it's add a suspension component, swap a shock, anything like that, you know, uh, before you go wheeling out again, uh, make sure you just you know throw a wrench on it really quick, and then again after about another five hundred miles. After you get all that vibration and the vehicle settling and everything else like that, just give those things another little bit of a torque to make sure they're seated properly. Where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show? What are you talking about, man? Where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show? I got no idea what the heck. Where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? Get out of my face, yo. Hey, where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? Underwater. Hey, where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? In the bubble bath. Where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? No clue. And where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? While flexing on stumps. Where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? Hey, where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? Hey, where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show at? I would assume on the radio. The Jeep Talk Show, available on iTunes and at jeeptalkshow.com. Hey, where do you listen to the Jeep Talk Show? We would like to know it. Dial us, uh, give us a call, dial us if you want, <laughs> 530-675-4102, and tell us where you listen to the Jeep Talk Show. Well, let's get over to some reviews, and we've got some today. Yeah, we sure do. You guys have been uh, doing us uh, doing us proud here, I, I would say. You can find us over on Twitter, Facebook, uh, pretty much anywhere where you can find the Jeep Talk Show. You can find a means to leave us a review and, and rate the show on iTunes. You can give us a five-star review. And your comments that you leave, we always read on the show. So whether it's a pat on the back or some constructive criticism, we will always read those comments, guys. So, uh, hey, let us know how we're doing. Well, let's get started here with uh, the Twitter. So, uh, oh my goodness, Bobby Portlandia, <laughs> Portlane, uh, Port so Latin, Port Latin, Port Latin, yeah, Port Latin. Latin. There you go. Uh, so you can follow Bobby at at sign Thundercore. I uh, know Thundercon underscore JK. Thundercon underscore JK. And of course, you can follow us anytime at uh, the at sign Jeep Talk Show. So uh, he says. Uh, uh, at Jeep Talk Show at YouTube. Been listening to you guys for a couple of weeks uh, now. Love the show. Been catching up on the past shows. Uh, keep it up. Hey, and Tony and Josh, just a few minutes ago, um, a little notification popped up on my computer, so I checked it out. And a few minutes ago on Facebook, Frank Carrier Jr. gave us a five-star review. And he says, great people, lots of knowledge about the same thing we all have in common. Kind of a big deal in the Jeep community. <laughs> and I'll just say real quick, Frank is uh, the owner and proprietor proprietor over there at Jeep Everything, a uh, closed Facebook page. So you can go over there and uh, join that up. I don't know how you find a closed Facebook page, but maybe if you just do a, a search for uh, Jeep Everything, uh, it'll show up and uh, you can request to be added to the to that uh, 
uh, that closed Facebook page. It's a very good group there. Lots of good posts. And I really love the, uh, the Ron Burgundy reference there. That was, that was great. <laughs> sure if you know this, but we're kind of a big deal. Well, hey, uh, we got a review on Facebook as well. Um, this is a familiar name. You might have heard it about 30 seconds ago. Uh, Bobby uh-huh. Portolin. Uh, <laughs> Review the Jeep Talk Show. Well, he did it on Twitter, and he also did it on Facebook, guys. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show you can you can give us more than run review, and we will appreciate it. He says, "I love it. I've listened for a couple weeks and enjoyed it a lot. I've been catching up on the past episodes in between the shoe. It's basically pretty much the same thing." Um, he says, "However, not sure how I stumbled upon it. However, I'm glad I did. Keep up the good work." Oh, and Tony, red Jeeps are sexy. I can't hardly read this. Um, Oh, here, this must be, you must have put this in. He says blue ones are even sexier. This can't be right. I think you're just probably misreading that or maybe reading something into it. <laughs> uh, blue is not bad. At least it's not black. You know, it's actually, no, and actually, I took a peek, uh, I took a peek at the Thundercon and, uh, and that's a, that's a nice Jeep. A really nice Jeep, Bobby. Keep up the good work, man. I wonder what Thundercon is. I was thinking about the Thundercats when I read that. Timely reference. <laughs> kind of like Rubicon is, is Thundercon. Thundercon? Okay. Well, maybe so. That's better than uh, uh, 3D overclocked, right? Or overclocked 3D. Oh, totally. Makes me. more sense. <laughs> <laughs> you got tech questions? Ah, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. because I, I It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! All right. How to pick a battery for your Jeep. Pretty simple, right? Go out to the store and no. I want that one. No, that's not how you do it. Batteries are not glamorous, but they are a necessity. And they're not glamorous, particularly when compared to items like an LED light bar or winches. Oh, those things are sexy. But the problem is that neither of those accessories on the front of your rig will do you much good at all without a battery. The stock battery and alternator are adequate for powering the factory electronics, but as you add more accessories, consider a battery upgrade. And of course, as we enter the winter months, well, you might be due for one anyways. The upgrade can come in uh, a bunch of different forms. You might replace your original battery with one of a more powerful one, like a dry cell or absorbed glass mat, which are known as AGM batteries uh, in the factory location, or even install a larger or a smaller battery in an aftermarket battery box in a different location. I know some people are running uh, different batteries in the back of their rigs and stuff. Automotive batteries consist of six electrochemical cells, each producing 2.1 volts through a chemical reaction. Two lead plates are found in each cell, a positive and a negative. Electrons traveling from one plate to the other generate electricity. In a traditional battery, that chemical reaction happens in sulfuric acid inside of the cells. Good stuff right there. Don't want it on your clothes, skin, anything, really. The issue for off-roaders is that this acid can leak when subjected to vibration, creating a mess in your engine bay, or worse, well, it can also cause those lead plates to break loose, short-circuiting that cell, and well, if you've ever seen a battery explode, you know it's no bueno. Instead of cells that are flooded with a liquid electrolyte, an AGM battery, such as those offered by Odyssey and Optima, have this fiberglass material that is filled with the electrolyte. With lead plates and electrolyte-saturated fiberglass mat filling the interior of the battery case, the AGM battery acts as a single solid unit, and you can mount them even upside down, sideways, you name it. Even in the same size packaging as the factory battery, AGM construction provides increased cranking amps compared to a traditional flooded battery. The easiest upgrade you can make to your vehicle to replace a stock battery with an AGM battery of the same size. Really, that's it. That's all there is to it. Now, AGM batteries also do a better job of being fully discharged, such as during heavy winching and being fully recharged back again without any damage. You cannot do that with a lead-acid battery. Those become deep-cycled and, well, they're done at that point. You may require uh, even more power for your stereo system or to turn over your high-compression engine, whatever. 
Or conversely, perhaps you have a lightweight buggy that only has room for a small battery under the hood, or maybe you just want to downsize altogether. Well, Odyssey offers batteries in a variety of shapes and sizes to fit any application. Obviously, the larger the battery, the more power, but space and budget constraints are also factors in determining which battery is right for you. Obviously, you can't throw a big old RV deep cycle uh, into, uh, into the battery location of a stock Cherokee. It's not going to fit. Another factor is securely mounting the battery in place. Batteries are heavy, and they are expensive, so you never ever want to rely on a bungee cord or a ratchet strap to secure them. Look, bungee cords stretch, and that positive battery terminal on the top of that battery is not going to play well with the bottom of your hood. So when you go over a nice big bump, that battery, regardless of how tight you've stretched that bungee cord, is going to bounce. And well, underhood welding is no fun. There's a wide selection of battery boxes on the market from companies such as Artec Industries and Trail Gear that are made for specific battery models and can be bolted in place of the factory battery tray or anywhere space allows. Or there are universal battery hold-down bars that can be applied to virtually any OEM battery tray. So, to help you get the confidence to fire up that LED light bar and that big-ass winch without concerns about your battery stranding you on the trail, let's get you guys edumacated on all that hot battery lingo. Alright, CCA. What is it? Cold cranking amps. It's the most common barometer we use when comparing batteries. This is pretty much how they are all measured. But a variety of other terms are useful when comparing specifications between various battery brands and sizes. We're going to get geeky, guys. Get your pencils. All right, BCI, or the group size, Battery Council International. The BCI group size refers to a battery's maximum physical dimensions. Groups 31, 34, and 78 are pretty much the most common sizes in most 4x4 vehicles. I think uh, most uh, Jeeps are around the 34 size. If you're looking for a drop-in replacement, that's what you want to go with. Cranking amps, or the CA rating. Number of amps a battery is at at 32 degrees Fahrenheit can deliver for 30 seconds while maintaining a minimum voltage of 7.2 volts. So that's pretty much when a deep freeze, what your battery is going to be good for. Cold cranking amps, CCA. This is the number of amps at a, a battery can produce at 0 degrees Fahrenheit and it can deliver for 30 seconds while maintaining a minimum voltage of 7.2. All right, depth of discharge, or the DOD. Percentage of the battery's total power that is discharged. A deep discharge refers to a DOD under 50% of the battery's potential. And this is useful for 4x4s that's subjected to hard winching or if you like to run your stereo and lights all night while you're in camp. This is a good indication of why you might need a dry cell battery. All right, hot cranking amps, HCA rating. The number of amps a battery at 80 degrees Fahrenheit can deliver for 30 seconds while maintaining a minimum voltage of 7.2 volts or 1.2 volts per cell. Remember, guys, extreme temperatures are the killers of all batteries. If it's over 100 degrees or if it's below freezing, guaranteed your battery is going to suffer. All right, reserve capacity, um, RCM rating, reserve capacity or reserve ca capacity minutes. These are the minutes a battery at 80 degrees Fahrenheit can deliver a continuous 25 amp current draw while maintaining 10.5 volts. Armed with a few more useful terms in, vo in your vocabulary now, you guys can head out to hunt for that perfect battery for your Jeep. All right, and hey Jeepers, let me know if you guys have a tech question you would like answered here on the show. Throw it at me. Regardless of what it is, I'll do my best. Go to jeeptalkforum.com or shoot me an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com with the subject line Tech Talk. To get more on this story or any of the Tech Talk uh, stories, head over to jeeptalkforum.com. Now, Josh, I know you weren't prepared for this, but let me throw this at you. And, and if you don't know or you need to do more research, feel free to jump in there and, and say, um, you know, I, I recently purchased a, another battery from, from my rig, uh, my yep. uh, Cherokee, and uh, I have a, a red top that is working mostly, but it's, it's 
getting on the weaker side because I went three days and then it wouldn't uh, turn the engine over on, on come Monday mm. and Friday. I didn't run it Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and then Monday it wouldn't turn the engine a complete turn. So okay. uh, that's why I bought a new battery. But I, if I if I started it every day, it probably would be fine. I'm thinking about going with a, a second battery setup, at least as long as this red top lasts. Now, I know you added a battery inside the engine compartment, and I believe Steve right. 4.3 LXJ actually has his battery in the back of his uh, Cherokee in the cargo area. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that idea. I mean, if Steve did it, then it must be okay. Uh, but I don't really like that idea because of I know that uh, there's a lot of resistance in wiring as you go a long ways away from uh, where it should be. If if I was to run, if I was to install that battery in the back uh, to do a second battery installation, what size gauge wire would I run, and how do I keep it off of stuff when I'm off road? Okay, there's there's several things that we have to address here before we go any further. Well, First if it's going to take too long, we can do it no, in a, in a no, later just, show. No, just a few. Like I can address okay. all this here in just a few minutes, um, or or less. Uh, first off, if you're going to put a battery inside of the vehicle, it absolutely has to be an AGM battery. Right, um, that's I, very I, Tony, good point. I know yes. that you know this, but this is more no. for the people uh, out there yeah, that are very that are important. Yes, this the reason why, guys, is because of that acid that I was talking about earlier. That sulfuric acid that actually off gases, and you do not want sulfuric gas filling the cabin of your vehicle, um, it, it, especially if you're going to be out camping or anything like that, or daily driving, especially. Oh my goodness, no, that <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Don't do it against the rules, guys. Um, secondly, uh, it's a very, very good idea to have the internal battery, um, the battery that you keep inside of the vehicle, if you're going to be doing a second battery setup, to um, store it inside of a fully enclosed case, not just a strap down to the floor. Um, the reason for this is, let's say you are in a rollover or you have a lot of cargo and the load shifts or something like that, you don't need something metal shorting out the top of that battery um, and then blowing that battery up in, in, in an instance like that. So right. um, also think about a, a emergency disconnect near that battery. If you're going to put a battery in the back of your Jeep, that's a long run. Um, and so that's a lot of wire that can have a short in it. And once you short a power wire to ground, it becomes a welding cable. And trust me, guys, you don't want to weld aught gauge wire or something like that to your Jeep. It will never come off. So um, just do yourself a favor and protect your interests. So uh, to answer your question specifically, Tony, um, a lot of that's going to come down to an, act, to an actual measurement. Now, there's some rules of thumb that we can apply here, but the also the big question here is going to be what would that second battery be used for? If all it's going to be doing is tying in in parallel with the system that you already have and just kind of used as an additional battery bank without any kind of cycling or, or turning off or isolating or anything like that, then really you can probably get away with four gauge wire um, in this case. Um, two gauge, I would probably say would be would be better. Um, but really, unless you're going to be doing anything like adding um, uh, like a winch to it, uh, powering a, a winch off the rear receiver, or adding um, a bunch of auxiliary lighting to it, um, switching over vehicle systems and stuff. If it's going to be a dedicated battery for dedicated systems, then I would recommend starting with two gauge. And depending on how long of that of a run that's going to be. Um, you may even want to consider stepping up to odd gauge. Um, obviously, keeping the ground as short as possible and uh, and running that power wire from one battery up to the next or to your isolator. Uh, what about the uh, protection of the cable that's uh, running from, you know, so really so far, and it's probably going to have to run un- underneath the vehicle, isn't it? Doesn't have necessarily have to run underneath the vehicle. It doesn't have to, um, the wiring doesn't have to be ran outside of the vehicle. There's nothing wrong with the wiring main, uh, being 
kept inside of the vehicle. Um, and in fact, I would recommend it. Uh, the reason for that is is that you're going to be running a you know a big chunk of wire all the way down the vehicle. And in an XJ, a Cherokee, or any other unibody vehicle for that matter, you're not going to have a whole lot of options other than following brake lines or fuel lines mm -hmm. uh, to route that wire and keep it tucked up out of the way. So best uh, option for that, keep it inside the rig. You've got a lot of places you can tuck it and keep it safe. And uh, also, too, to answer the question about using the battery, since I'm going to have the yellow top uh, under the hood and uh, putting the red top as the second battery, I was thinking of more of it uh, having, uh, you know, I forget what the setup is called, but basically it uh, it charges the yellow top uh, or the under hood battery first, then the uh, backup battery second, and then the red top would only be used if the yellow top died. Now, normally I would say, oh, let's put all the accessories, lights and everything else on the, the secondary battery and run it off of that. But that would be a long run to get it, you know, all the wiring back to it. Right. Uh, I guess maybe I could do it with the, the, the cables that are coming uh, coming in the the two gauge wire or whatever I just have to think about it but well, I would I would recommend if you're gonna if you're gonna start the, the other the other issue with this is isolation um, when you when you isolate the batteries from uh, from each other they have to be done that has to be done with a device mm -hmm. uh, we had Steve on a number of episodes back and a quick Jeep tip talking about using um, old school, uh, constant duty starter solenoids um, as an as an, a cheap alternative to an isolator. You'll have to swap them out once every few years or something like that because uh, they're just not really meant to handle that kind of amperage. But Tony, I know you and I were having a discussion um, kind of in private about uh, high amperage alternators. Mm -hmm. And um, if you are running solid state battery isolation, its rating has to match your alternator. And let me tell you, it is very difficult to track down battery isolators over 90 amp rating. So um, just keep that in mind when you're when you're thinking about battery systems and how you're going to isolate them or hook them up uh, to each other. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, I know Dan did some of this stuff whenever he built his uh, Overland trailer. So I got lots of good sources. And of course, the whole of the Internet. So it uh, might be an interesting topic for the for the future. I'm just, I've got this second battery, and it'd be kind of nice to be able to use it, especially on those days that you know you're out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, the battery doesn't want to crank over your engine. You go, eh, not a problem. You hit a switch, or starts right up, <clears throat> and yep. then you're back to charging. So, anyway, just uh, this is something that uh, came up here recently, and thought I'd ask about it. Hey, folks, you know, we love hearing from all of you, so be sure and call our voicemail line at 530-675-4102, or you can jump over to our website, jeeptalkshow.com, and leave us a message. Just click the Leave Voicemail button. Hey, this is Tony. And I'm Tammy. And this is Josh. And you've reached our 24-7 voicemail line. You guys know what to do, so at the beep, leave your message. Hey, it's Joe here, Tony. Fixed it. Uh... The weird vibration I was having, basically leaving the driveway and parking spots, was uh, the U-joints in the front axle uh, in the shafts. Uh, last time I did them, I, I just bought the cheapest ones I could find. I didn't think it made a difference. Uh, based off what I found on XJ Talk and Cherokee Forum, uh, I should have bought the Spicer you joints. Yeah, they're a little bit more money, but they, they're supposed to last considerably longer. I got about 20,000, 25,000 miles out of the ones that were in there. And I'm switching to second shift, so I'll actually have two days off a week instead of one. So I should actually start to be able to make some progress on this Jeep. 
is it, uh, is it a bad idea to do a lift kit in stages? I, I know it'll look silly with the, the back end sitting higher than the front end, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's the daily driver. I, I don't really need this thing down because I, I've, I've broken something or I realized I need a part for a week. Uh, just curious on your thoughts on that. Thanks. I can't remember. Is Johnny Gillette in an XJ? He is, isn't he? I believe he is in a, in a well, Cherokee. Well, yeah, Something he was tells researching me he had a Wrangler on Cherokee and XJ form. Okay. Uh, anyways, my my best advice for for that for doing the lift kit and stages, don't. Um, if you jack up the rear end and you drive around for a week with you know it, it looking like a like an old eighties roadster. Um, you're going to have issues with braking, with cornering, with handling. It's going to be unsafe. I just wouldn't recommend it. Could you get away with it? Technically, yes. But again, I, I just, I'd, I'd shy away from that sort of thing. Depending on how extensive of a lift kit you're doing. Look, I mean, I did, I did a full leaf swap, um, and a, and a, and a really basic, you know, full leaf and springs, um, and a track bar relocation, uh, bracket a lift kit on a Cherokee. My first time ever doing one on an XJ. I think it took me about two days, and I was with basic hand tools by myself. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had a hand there, an extra hand there, it probably could have been done in a day. Now, I did run into a couple of issues, um, like the, the the leaf spring eye bolts. Those are going to be your biggest pain in the butt. That and the and the um, and the shock, uh, the the rear upper, shock upper uh, yeah, bolts. Yeah, the upper shocks. Yeah, the, those are. And the, but there's a ton of write ups on both of these and tips and tricks to how to get away with. You know, if if this happens, then do this, mm-hmm. and it, to prevent this from happening, do this. You know, that sort of stuff. So it sounds like you've already started doing your research, uh, Juliet. So um, just keep up the good work. Plan yourself if you can. Use a little bit of vacation time. Give yourself a three day weekend. Knock it out. You should be able to do it. No problem. I would say that if you uh, go over the installation of the lift kit, uh, either uh, through the instructions or over in your mind after you've read the instructions, I would hit all the items that are critical first. Uh, and the, the, the thing I hear a lot about for the northern Jeepers, uh, really anybody that's not in the deep south, uh, you know, where there, there's uh, ice and snow and salt on the roads, are those uh, rear uh, bolts that hold the front of the leaf springs onto the XJ. Those have been the, the bane of many uh, XJ yep. owners' existence whenever they, uh, they're, they're going to put a lift kit on. Uh, so I might start there. You know, can I back out that bolt? And, and actually, you don't even have to be doing the, the lift kit to check it. You can uh, yeah. try backing it out and see if it will back out. And uh, you don't have to take it out. All you have to do is get it to turn. Now, All right, you're, you're going to need... You're gonna need- a couple things that I'm going to insist on: at least one full can of PB Blaster, oh, yeah. and I'm not I'm not kidding here. Soak every bolt for like a week. I'm talking every yeah, day. If it idea. looks wet, hit it again. I don't care. If it rains, go out there, hit it again. I mean, soak all those bolts as much as possible, front, back, side to side, you name it, with as much PB Blaster or Croil or whatever you can get on there, whatever kind of penetrating oil you can to get in there because it will be a lot easier on you if you do this. If you don't do that, I guarantee you, you're going to break almost every bolt. Uh, also, too, uh, propane torch uh, is your friend on yes. some of those bolts. Just yes. be careful your, with it, especially uh, your, with your the PB fire blaster. <laughs> yeah, especially with the PB blaster. But I would look at uh, perhaps doing those leaf springs, uh, those bolts, and then if you can get those bolts out of there, I really can't think of anything else that would be a major concern because you're just doing coils up front, and that's going to be pretty cut and dry. 
uh, as long as you don't have any problems with the lower uh, or upper control arm bolts. Getting, yeah, it makes sure that you, you're you going to remove the shocks, you're going to remove your brake lines, you're going to, without having to use a spring compressor, you may even have to remove a track bar mm-hmm. um, uh, to get that axle to droop enough to where you can get the old springs out and the new springs in without using a spring compressor. Yeah, and the spring compressors, as you probably are aware, you can just get at uh, an auto parts store where you pay for it, you bring it back in 48, 72 hours, whatever it is, and uh, they give you your money back. So yep. um, yeah, it, just be really careful with those spring compressors. I've never had one uh, come apart on me, but it scares me every time I do it because I think of all that uh, built-up energy that oh. uh, you know in that spring that I'm compressing. I just I can just see it in my head. Oh, jeez. But, yeah, but I, I actually kind of I, I kind of want to see one of those go just to see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> MythBusters. I don't want to be anywhere near it. <laughs> you know, if MythBusters Myth, Myth Busters was still on the air, that would be a good Myth MythBuster. Oh, that would be a good one. Will it actually kill somebody? Through the roof of a house or not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, attention all my Jeep lovers out there. Our Jeeps aren't made to just look cool. They're made to get used. So let me ask you, how can you get the most out of your Jeep if your lights are worthless? Let me tell you about a brand that will keep the night lit up. If the guys over at let it's the guys over at Crawlbright Performance Off-Road Lighting. Look, they have the highest quality lights made from the top components in the industry. They use aircraft grade aluminum guys, a virtually unbreakable polycarbonate lens, and only the best name brand LEDs to give you the brightest light. These lights are over are 100% waterproofed, backed by a 3-year replacement guarantee. But listen, I know what you're thinking. It sounds great, but it's got to be expensive, right? Their prices are just a fraction of the cost of those other guys who don't even use the same quality parts. This is a no-brainer, folks. We're about to make your decision to upgrade your lighting a whole lot easier. Check it out. Just head over to crawlbright.com to check out all the cool lighting gear for your Jeep. Enter Jeep Talk Show, all one word, at checkout for a special 20% discount. That's right. It's on everything in your basket, not just one item. That's right, Jeepers. The biggest discount ever offered on performance auxiliary lighting, and it's all yours exclusively for being a Jeep Talk Show listener. So quit hiding in the dark and get onto the bright side. Crawlbright.com. Josh, uh, Tammy, have you guys ever seen a 20% discount on anything like that, especially on a, not, a podcast on, or a forum? Not on or, lighting. That's a no, I've, Good Lord, I've, 20%. I see rough stuff and and um, and other companies, you know, who have like the builder parts and stuff like that. They'll do twenty percent discounts around the holidays and stuff. Right. But typically, that's on a single item. Rarely would it be on the entire order, and it's definitely not on stuff like this. Yeah. So we really appreciate the the, the folks over at crawlbright.com and uh, providing us that twenty percent discount, so we could provide it to you guys. And now it's time for some radio com tech. All right. Well, this is going to be making your antenna shorter. In episode 247, we talked about antenna length versus frequency. As the frequency goes up, the length of the antenna gets shorter. Wait a minute. <laughs> there are CB antennas of all kinds of shapes and sizes, you may say. How can length be tied to frequency? Well, there are many ways to make an antenna resonant on a specific frequency. One way is to physically make it longer or shorter. Another way is to is by the use of a loading coil. A loading coil is an inductor that serves to electrically change the length of the antenna. If a CB antenna on your Jeep is shorter than 102 inches, then your antenna is using a loading coil trick, uh, I'm sorry, a loading coil to trick the radio it's connected to into believing it's really the right length. Now, now on uh, the popular fire stick antennas, you won't see a loading coil like you see, say, on a K40 uh, or a Wilson antenna. Uh, Does this disprove the rule? No. 
the helically wound fire stick and other three and I think there's four foot versions of the same thing or uh, uh, long fiberglass and uh, uh, three and four foot long fiberglass antennas that have the loading coil running the length of the fiberglass whip. Anytime you use an antenna that is shorter than the frequency versus length requires, it does not work as well as it could. It's like most things in this world. When you compromise, you get something, but you also lose something. Uh, if your uh, CB communications is close by, say a mile as in a Jeep convoy or rig-to-rig -rig communications, then the shorter antenna is fine. If you want to talk to somebody 20 miles away in the dead silence of the night, you'll want a longer, more resonant antenna. Matching the antenna to the transmitter is critical, not only for power transfer, but for the safety of your transmitter. If a mismatched RF power will travel back from the antenna into your radio, causing excessive heating and failure of the RF power transistors. Oh, and uh, RF stands for radio frequency. So whenever the, the transmitter is active, it's generating these radio frequencies of whatever the frequency of the channel that you're on. So that power will actually go back into your CB. Uh, when the uh, RF uh, power amplifier uh, transistors fail, the radio may seem to function normally, but the power output of the transmitter will be very low. Now, so, Tony, let me let me ask you real quick. So, is that is that whole you know with the power matching all that stuff? Is that, is this what people are talking about when they when they start talking about SWR tuning and, and stuff like that? Yes, it is. Um, when adjusting for lowest uh, SWR, which stands for standing wave ratio, you are adjusting the power transfer from the transmitter to the antenna. SWR reading of one to one, the ratio of one to one, is a perfect match and all four watts from your CB will be going to your antenna. But there are several ways to adjust the SWR. Um, we'll go into that uh, later uh, in, in future episodes because there's uh, different ways that you can adjust that, different ways you can actually fool the transmitter uh, and it doesn't help your, uh, <laughs> it doesn't help your, your transmit any further. But anyway, many modern day radios have a power limiting circuit that cuts back the amount of power going out uh, and that cuts the amount of power coming back into your radio uh, as a protection whenever it sees a high SWR or actually when it sees a lot of power coming back during transmission. But that also means your CB will be protected. You won't burn up your RF uh, uh, power uh, transistors as easily, but that means that you will have very little RF power going to the antenna and being transmitted. It will affect your signal. And, and at times, I think it can even affect how you sound. It may even cause problems with your modulation. Uh, that's just a uh, a feeling I have, but I may be wrong on that one. So you may ask, does an antenna length only apply to transmitters? No, not at all. You can use any size antenna for receive, but a properly sized and matched to the receiver antenna will work much better than the one that is shorter than the required length. Longer antennas will receive better, but they need to be a multiple of the wavelength for that frequency. Now there's ways around that by tuning uh, the antenna and matching it to the receiver. But generally speaking, if you say, for example, we had the, the two shows ago, we showed that uh, the antenna gets longer uh, as uh, frequency goes down. So if you were trying to listen to, like, say, shortwave broadcast, your antenna would be uh, the longer, the better, and it wouldn't be matched uh, specifically to it. But uh, if you can make it a multiple wavelength of the band that you're listening to, then it's going to receive better and it's going to transfer that power from the antenna to the receiver better. So 
I know it's complex, folks, and that's one of the reasons why there's so many, um, uh, so much bad information floating around, uh, because it's it's difficult to sometimes grasp how this how this stuff works, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start with something very simple and generate maybe some questions in your head about well, I know I've seen antennas that aren't 75 feet long on the on the back of a a jeep like was shown in that diagram, and uh, there there definitely are ways to fool the receiver uh, into it, but. The point being is, is that it is a compromise, and whenever you compromise a 80-foot antenna for one that's only 9 feet long, it's not going to work as well as the other one. But you can't drive down the road with a 75-foot long antenna. Now, interestingly, planes, whenever they were doing HF uh, radio, like back um, uh, back in the uh, uh, 30s and 40s, they would actually uh, let a wire out the back of the uh, of the airplane, and it would be flying along, and this long wire would be trailing uh, the airplane, which they'd have to hmm. reel back in uh, before they landed. And they would use that long antenna to be able to transmit on. And uh, uh, but with uh, uh, modern technology, our frequencies of our transmitters have gone up into the VHF, UHF, and as I pointed out in two forty seven, that's a much shorter antenna. And if we didn't, if we weren't using the 800, 1200 megahertz bands on our cell phones, they would have to have external antennas that were kind of long. They'd look like more like walkie-talkies. But because they're so high in the frequency, the antenna is actually inside the case. So if you ever open one up, you'll see an antenna in there that's about three or four inches long. That's hmm. going to be a, a full-sized antenna for that frequency. Who knew? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's fun to look at. And also, too, uh, as a side note, you can actually uh, spot the uh uh, the detectives and police that are in unmarked vehicles by the antennas that they have on the vehicles. So you, you see these little nubby antennas. Uh, they're usually in the 700, 800 megahertz range. And uh, it's easy to identify a police vehicle that way or uh, uh, undercover, FBI, any, uh, any of those folks that use those frequencies. So where did I go? Where did that go wrong? Let me know uh, or add to what I've said. Go to jeeptalkforum.com or email me at info jeeptalkshow.com with uh, the uh, uh, radio com tech segment. Hey folks, now it's the time we've all been looking for, forward to each and every week, and that's hearing from the mind of Nikki G. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G, and uh, I want to apologize to Tammy for picking on her about her <laughs> Jeep being black. I guess uh, black Jeeps matter. And uh, show my unity for uh, black jeeps. Uh-oh. I'm going to block the freeway. <laughs> well, I'm not really Jeep. blocking it by choice. I'm more like broke down on the freeway. Right. <laughs> and, uh, well, black jeeps, red back. jeeps. I guess it doesn't matter, just as long as it's not that green color. <laughs> and uh, Josh, we had a a word for the color jeep you had. It was called quilted when you had a jeep that had different body panels on it. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> and uh, nothing wrong with it. It's just just a name for it. And uh, Juliet Johnny called in with his uh, Bluetooth enabled watch, and I thought the quality was pretty good, so I headed down to Apple and I uh, got the new Bluetooth enabled underwear, <laughs> the iJock. <laughs> my quality call call quality sounds like crap. It's probably because I have it on backwards. Oh, yeah, I can't go wrong with a pot joke. <laughs> All right, boys oh and girls, God. I will chat at you later. You have a good one. Bye. <laughs> oh, 
this guy? <laughs> How does he come up with this stuff? Uh, he has a lot of time alone. I was just uh, uh, I was counting my <laughs> counting my fingers here a minute ago. Quilted would actually fit on a, a personalized license plate. So <laughs> that'd be cool. That just shows that you. No, use- it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> for my Jeep, it wouldn't. <laughs> that just shows that you use your Jeep, Josh. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although you would think that a can of uh, a rattle can of uh, black would uh, take care of a lot of that. Yeah, no, oh. it would. It still wouldn't match, though. No, no, of course not. I've, I've heard that black is a very hard color to match. You know, I've got two black fenders on the side of my house. One of them is the, the one that was on there that's all bent. One of them is replacement that has white pinstriping on it. Mm. And then, of course, I have the primer gray one that's still on the Jeep. Thank you, Nikki Jeep. <laughs> well folks now is the time for my product review and Yay. tonight i'm going to review um it's not a product that you put well i guess you do put it on your jeep um now, is this you your re- review or did you just reading it <laughs> it's my review all right, all right go ahead. this is mother's back to black oh good and stuff oh, I got some of that stuff at an automotive store or you can get it on amazon for $7.49. Now, it claims that it removes light oxidation, dirt, wax, residue, surface film with ease, protects against further deterioration caused by the sun, smog, ozone, water, chemicals, and airborne contaminants, cleans and protects the exterior trim of all color, brings back that new, like new life. Now, if you for everything except for Jeep block. plastic. Oh, yeah. So show that again, Tammy. I was having problems getting the shot up. There oh. you go. So now, if you follow my blog, you know the issues I've had with my plastic vendors on my Rubicon. Not real In issues. In April of 2015, <laughs> I decided to wax my Jeep. Well, I wasn't very careful around the plastic vendors and wax got on them. I tried many, many home remedies, um, many suggestions from fellow Jeepers like Don dish soap, a pink eraser, simple green, Mr. Clean eraser sponges, a blow dryer with a wire brush, and yes, even peanut butter. Mm. Now, out of all those, peanut butter seemed to work the best for a little while. Um, Then the wax just came back. So someone suggested back to black. So last month I decided to try it. And not only did I have wax stains on my fenders, I have mud stains. And these don't wash off. Um, and they weren't just your regular mud. It's the coal dust mud stains from the mountains of the Pennsylvania coal mines where I go off-roading. So I decided to goop this gel onto the brush, which they provided, and scrubbed away. And then you wipe it clean with um, a microfiber cloth. So wow, wow, wow. That's all I can say. What a difference. And you can see the difference on my blog at www.jeepmama.com on September 20th. I posted that. The wax is gone. And my fenders look brand new. The stains from all that mud are gone. Now is the real test. The test of time. Mm -hmm. How long will it stay gone? Um, And next week on my blog, I'm going to do a little before and after. Before um, the wax when the wax was on and then after the back to black and then three weeks later. Oh, good. Um, so anyway, I think this stuff is amazing. It, it really works. Well, I'm glad you got that problem uh, taken care of. But what has that been a year since that's been going on or close yeah, to I, a year? Yeah. I you're coming, my, you're actually coming up on an anniversary for your Jeep, aren't you? Um, yeah. 
um, October 31st. Are you going to get it? What, two years? Are you going to get it candy? Am I going to get it candied? <laughs> yeah, it's probably no. Get it, get it candy, candy to have. You put candy in it, make, makes oh. it happy. You know, I don't think that you're you're treating your Jeep right because it has a brand new, beautifully painted diff cover on these absolutely horrible, deplorable looking axles. They're all dirty and nasty. I can't believe you didn't spend an extra five minutes cleaning those things up, especially before the pictures. Or at least spend another hour going and getting everything dirty. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, hey, there hey, you speaking go. Of, speaking of which, Tammy, I, I, I only caught the last few moments of that video section. Um, was, uh, was your bottle of this uh, Back to Black, um, was it a spray bottle? Or is it no, just put it on a rag and rub? Rag and rub. It's, it's like a gel. Okay, they used to have a liquid version of this, and I'm uh-huh. pretty sure, I don't know if it was Mother's Back to Black or not, um, but uh, maybe it was called Black Magic. No, the one I but have I, is, is a spray. So, okay, so, so the spray that I used to use, um, and I, I stopped using because it, it was expensive, and, and, oh, and, God, and yes. anyways, but the, here's where I'm going with this. If you give your fender wells and your trim and a couple other things a nice little spritz of this stuff before you go out wheeling, when you come back, all that, all that dirt and everything and that mud and that clay and that silt, whatever, it just washes right off, mm-hmm. rinses huh. right off. Right. Huh. Now, I'm probably going to get uh, 100,000 people unsubscribing here, but uh, do you guys use the tire foam whenever you're prettying up your Jeep and you foam up the tires? Yeah, if, I'm doing a a, if I'm doing a detail job, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've foamed the, uh, the, the tires on my Jeep more than a couple of times. So, so yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's yeah, basically I'll go a year. I'll go a year oh, yeah, without yeah. washing my Jeep. Yeah. But you know, right. it's, it's, but right. no, if, if I'm going, if I, cause you, you guys know that I, I go to a lot of, um, you know, off-road shows and stuff when they're, when they're, um, you know, when the season is, is happening out here in the Northwest. And of course I take my Jeep and when I'm doing that, I want to make sure that either I'm muddy as I'll get out or I'm clean. Right. And so I'll either have a fresh detail or a fresh coat of mud. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, uh, Tammy, if you use that tire foam or not, it's, it's very nice because it, uh, it makes the tiny, the tires, I, I hate it when the, they start getting brown. I don't mind the or blue. The, yeah. The, I don't mind the shiny or the dirty so much as the, the fading of the gray and the brown of the oils that start coming out of the tire. Anyway, that stuff is kind of an oil based stuff that you just foam on there and it just, you just leave it there and it, it, uh, the foam goes away and the tires look nice. I'll actually spray it into the wheel wells like Josh was talking about because they get kind of dirty and gray. And I have not tried the, the washing out of the mud and stuff, but I suspect because it's oil-based, it would work as well. So if you're uh, foaming your tires, uh, spend a couple of more sprays and uh, just go up into the wheel well. It looks good, and I think it would help you uh, get the, uh, the crud off of it when you get back from, uh, from wheeling. Yeah, it just makes your uh, post-wheeling detailing a little bit easier. Yeah. Makes it more fun for the people driving behind you after you leave the park. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, and don't forget, you can find my Jeep product reviews on our new form, jeeptalkform.com. And one more thing, we have a survey, and we want you guys to take our survey. It's really short and quick. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash, slash survey. Excellent. Yeah, we'd like to hear from you guys. Well, uh, I think we can do a quick campfire side chat, can't we? Yeah, I think so. I got I got a really quick. Uh, I can story go for quick, you guys. but I don't think you two can go quick. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So I got a little small world story for you guys. Um, a buddy of mine uh, who's in a completely different industry, uh, but we used to work together way back in the day. He calls me up today and he's like, hey, um, I just ran into this guy and he knows you. Um, he sells uh, he sells high-end car audio and, and, and audio for, um, for marine applications and, and whatnot. And uh, um, this gentleman came into, came into the store, the showroom rather, and um, they started talking about, you know, system upgrades and all that sort of thing. And and um, somehow or another, the term word, whatever Jeep got brought up into the conversation, well, whether he was talking about what vehicle he uses to, to tow his boat with or, or what have you. And my buddy, of course, was like, hey, you need to know about the Jeep talk show. Oh, and very it, nice. Yeah. No, he's told. Was this totally war wagon? Are you talking about war? Ra- war, war no, 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 uh, no. This is okay. this is uh, this is my this is my buddy Donovan. He uh, he works for um, uh, uh, not, gee, I'm going to brain fart on the name of the company now. Anyways, um. Uh, they didn't pay for a commercial anyway, so uh, <laughs> screw them. Anyways, you're right. So um, they uh, they started talking about Jeeps, and he's like, "Well, you need to know about the Jeep Talk Show." And he, the guy already knew about it, and he's ah, like, "Well, you know, Josh, that. then that's my that's my buddy. You know, we go back 25 years." And and he's like, "You know, Josh, that name sounds familiar." So he, they start talking. And, well, this guy's um, he's a former board member of uh, of NAX, North American XJ Association. Um, and he was, um, he wasn't on the board when I was a member. Um, but, uh, uh, he came in shortly after I did, I remember him on the forums and whatnot, but he remembers me, knows, uh, knows me from runs and, and, and whatnot, but I haven't seen the guy in, in years. Uh, but nonetheless, it was one of those, you know, small world stories, somebody, you know, completely random running into somebody I know and just happens to know me. Yeah. That's really cool. Especially whenever they've already heard of the show. That's, uh, you know, when you put a lot of time and effort into something, it's it's kind of like a little payoff. Like, oh, yeah, I know about the Jeep Talk Show. It's like, yes, Yay. thank yeah. you. <laughs> <I know. laughs> All yep. my work was for something. <laughs> right. No, I thought I thought that was pretty cool, though. It's it's not often you run into those small world stories, and and they are really cool when they do happen. All right, Tammy, I'm sorry, we don't have any time for any badge <laughs> whining. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to give you an update on the Jeep Badge of Honor program. Last week, I told you how I was kind of disappointed. Because uh, it's been since March since I ran the trail. Um, anyway, I Jeep, I think, heard me. Um, or I'd like to think they heard me. It could be a coincidence. But hundreds of people, I'm guessing it's hundreds. Um, it could be thousands. of People got a letter from Jeep updating them on some program issues they had. And they're fixing it. Some people are getting their badges already. Um, basically... Um, there was just like a little issue they had and they're fixing it and they're sending the badges out. Did, so, they, did they say what the problem was? Um, no, they just said, let's see, we've experienced some processing delays and delivery issues with the latest round of badge shipments. Many of you may be wondering where your badges are or, or may have received the incorrect badge this past week. Oh my goodness. We are aware of the issues and are currently working to fix a problem as quickly as possible. People getting the wrong badges, that cheapens the whole value of the badges thing because yeah. they didn't actually complete it. Yeah. Well, somebody um, I saw on Facebook got a Rubicon Trail badge and they didn't even run the Rubicon Trail. And now it's on eBay Ooh. for $2,700. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mentioned I, uh, I mentioned already about the, my battery issues. And it's not a major issue, but I was really tickled to find uh, that I could buy a, uh, a Optima yellow top, which I've been wanting two batteries ago, but they never had them at Sam's. Hmm. I found that I could go over to amazon.com, jeeptalkshow.com slash Amazon, and uh, buy a, uh, honest to goodness, brand new 
uh, yellow top Optima battery for $176 shipped. And no, it wasn't prime. So it was cheaper for me to not do a damn thing, not go anywhere uh, and just click something on the screen and order it. Now the shipping, because it wasn't prime was going to be like a week uh, to 10 days or something. Do you know it still came here in two days? Wow. I couldn't believe. I was was going to warn the people here at the house, my my wife and girls, there's going to be a box arrive. It's not going to be that big, but it's going to be really heavy. Just leave it there. UPS driver just loved that one. (laughs) Yes. Uh Well, you know, funny though, the bumpers that I got uh, that shipped to me from uh, from Mark uh, up in, I think he was in Connecticut at the time. Those bumpers were big and heavy, but the UPS guy was kind of interested. He wanted to see what it looked like whenever, <laughs> when I unwrapped it, because Mark uh, wraps those things so, so it looks like a bumper. <laughs> well, it looked like the bumper. He wraps it where you can see the whole thing. It just oh, has cardboard. Right uh, he's he does masterful work on in metal and in wrapping. Um, very popular at Christmas time, I'm sure. Yeah, but any but anyway, uh, I didn't know it was going to be here so quickly. So they, uh, I think my youngest daughter uh, struggled and brought it into the house. And uh, so anyway, got a yellow top to put into the uh, the Jeep this weekend, and that's why I was mentioning I, I have a red top that uh, is uh, uh, somewhat marginal, but I think uh, will probably be good for a backup battery. And Tony, I got uh, I got some uh, some stuff to throw at you here after the show uh, okay. in regards to that red top. So okay, um, good. Yeah, I, I don't don't give up hope on that yet. No, no. Oh, that's right. Do you uh, you know a way to re- re- I re- sure re- do. rejuvenate stuff? Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up and uh, put a bow on it. Let's get over to some wheeling wear. Yes, we're going to talk about what events are coming up in your neck of the woods and around the nation. We've got Trail Hero going on as we speak. That's right, as we are recording this October 6th, Trail Hero is in day two of their four-day event. Guys, this is pretty much the epic pinnacle of off-roading events if you don't know about this please head over to thetrailhero.com to check it out guys this is happening in hurricane utah as we speak this will be an annual event and guys i'm trying to get as much attention to this as possible this is going to be bigger than king of hammers we also have the ultra four nationals coming up october 21st uh through the october 22nd in reno nevada for more information on that make sure to head over to ultra4.com We've got SEMA, the Special Equipment Manufacturers Association. Oh, everybody knows SEMA. That's happening. The end of the month, October 31st through November, uh, the first week of November, We this is all going down, of course, in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information on that, head to SEMAshow.com. And if you guys have an event coming up that you want us to get the word out about, well, by all means, send us an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com. Let us know about your event or club run or whatever you have going on, and we'll be sure to get the word out for you. You know, for a couple of years now, I've been thinking uh, about uh, it would be really cool if all three of us could go to SEMA one year for the Jeep oh, Talk Show. Oh, that would just be amazing. You know, have the booth and uh, sign, oh, sign yeah, autographs. Do a, do and uh, on-the-site oh, yeah. broadcast. <laughs> autographs. Just, Maybe we yeah. could put up a dunk, a dunk tank and uh, sell bean bags. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Three tosses, you get a shot to dunk the Jeep Talk Show car, Jeep Talk Show hosts. So, if you guys aren't subscribing or going to any of our advertisers, please do so because uh, who knows, you might be able to go to SEMA and uh, dunk Josh. I, I have an inner ear problem, so I can't do the walk. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got your inner ear right here. Oh, gee, though, I didn't think it was that small. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> 
So the, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, we want you to know that the Jeep Talk Show is also available in audio-only format. Great to listen to while commuting or, or commuting, which I like that word, or while working on your Jeep. Subscribe via iTunes, tune in, Google Play, or iHeartRadio, and never miss an episode. Speaking of subscribing and getting us to SEMA, you can uh, now subscribe with your money. Yes, you can contribute directly to the show via PayPal. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look for the little orange button. You can select 25 cents a week up to $1. Your account will be charged weekly. A big thank you to our four subscribers. You rock. Yeah, that's four. It's more than one. Hey, did you know that it can take up to four days for your favorite podcast episode to show up on Apple iTunes? It's true. iTunes is a great free service, and we appreciate Apple for all their hard work. But we want our listeners to get the Jeep Talk Show as quickly as possible. That's why we are recommending that all of you iTunes users subscribe to our podcast. No multi-day delay. You'll get the greatest, you'll get the newest episode much quicker. Open up iTunes, search for Jeep Talk Show, and hit that subscribe button and never miss a great, funny, informative podcast. And of course, subscribing is what it's all about, guys. YouTube.com slash Jeep Talk Show. We need your subscribers, guys. If you haven't subscribed or if you've been waiting, by all means, head over there right now. For every 100 subscribers, we get a cookie or something like that. So (laughs) YouTube.com slash Jeep Talk Show. We need those subscriptions. Get them in. Oh, that's it for this week, guys. Wherever you're wheeling, if you pack it in, let's pack it out. If you let's leave our outdoor recreation spots in as good, if not better, condition than we were when we arrived. And remember to always tread lightly, stand dead and dead trails, and don't wheel where you're not supposed to. If you'd like to learn more about the tread lightly principles and how you can help keep our tr- public lands and trails open for off-road <laughs> use, head over to www.treadlightly.org. Go <gasps> blow a gasket. <laughs> Push it harder. Hey, folks, don't forget to go over to my blog at jeepmama.com and hashtag Black Jeeps are sexy. Yeah, you're damn right they are. And of course, if you guys want to check out what's happening in the world of voiceover with me and how I might be able to lend a voice to your business or product, by all means, check me out over at thevoiceofjosh.com. Ooh, red jeeps are sexy. How dare you. Not. <laughs> so we really appreciate you guys being here every week. And uh, I just want to say uh, thank you uh, very much. And uh, we'll have a great Jeep week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Jeep Talk call-in show. I'm going to try and make it, I swear. Good. Stay safe, Florida. Well, hey, Jeepers, we're going to give you guys a little bit of a bonus, uh, not necessarily a bonus episode, but a little extra bonus content. Now, uh, you guys heard earlier in the show, episode 249 here, uh, that Tony uh, has a red top Optima battery that is probably on its way out. And luckily for him, he just got a brand new yellow top Optima. Well, you guys might remember back, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes or so, I was talking about dual battery systems for for a few episodes. And we were going over all the different things that you need to take into consideration when hooking up a dual battery system and the different types of dual battery systems and whatnot. Well, Tony bought a yellow top Optima battery to replace that red top that was kind of showing signs of it being on its last leg. Well, Tony, I don't want you to get rid of that red top quite yet. I'm going to hook up you and our listeners with a tip to help bring back an old AGM or an old dry cell battery from the brink of death and uh, breathe some new life into it. Excellent. I like this idea. Actually, I've got two red tops that are sitting out there now, or will. Hey, actually, this is going to work really well then, because if you have two red tops and one of them is very, very dead, and you have that that beautiful brand new yellow top over there, or even your your existing red top, which is still, for the most part, working okay, Mm -hmm. you can use any combination of this. What we're going to do here is we're going to basically recharge that battery. Now you're thinking, well, I can just start the Jeep and the Jeep will restart it, or will recharge it, right? right? Well, yes and no. Not exactly. 
the an actual battery charger puts more of a charge into the battery for a longer period of time than your alternator can. And it does it in a different way. The, the sine wave, the actual wave of the electricity going into the battery, if you were to look at it like on an oscilloscope, is going to be different um, than if you were just charging it via your alternator or via a regular battery charger. What do I mean by regular battery charger? Can't you just use any battery charger? No. Unfortunately, if you're doing this trick, you, you know, again, this is only going to work on dry cell batteries or AGM batteries. You have to have an AGM battery charger. Now, most new battery chargers made in the last couple few years at least uh, are going to have a little switch on them. Now, most of them do, and that's for amperage, you know, a little trickle amp of maybe one or two amps, and then maybe a, a higher one of, at about five amps, and that's for your average charging. And, and then you'll have your start charge, and, uh, and that's around like 15 or 25 amps. And you'll hear the thing really buzzing when you flick over to that, uh, that switch. But the switch that I'm talking about is going to be between regular lead-acid batteries and AGM. There'll be a setting on your charger for those. And if you don't have that setting on your charger, you do not want to do this trick. You can damage your charger, you can damage the house electricity or wiring, or you could even damage the batteries. So, once again, you need to have an AGM battery, uh, two of them, and an AGM battery charger in order for this to work. All right, so how are we going to do it? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to lie to the battery charger. If you were to have a dead deep cycle battery um, in front of you and you go to hook up a battery charger to it, it's going to sense that there's something wrong with that battery because battery chargers need to have a certain amount of voltage left in them in order to work. Or the battery needs to have a certain amount of voltage left in it in order for the battery charger to work. It needs to sense that there's something there, that you're not just hooking up some leads to a potato. So it needs to see a battery there and it does that by a resistance reading. And so it kind of does a quick little calculation through the leads that you just hooked up to that battery to determine whether or not there's enough resistance in there for it to actually take a charge. And if that resistance is too high or if there's not enough voltage, well, that battery charger is not going to let you try and charge that battery. Okay, so how do we do this? We're gonna, what we're going to do is, it, is we're going to hook it up to... We, we need a set of jumper cables to do this too. I'm sorry, I, I, forgot, to, I forgot to say that. So you need your two say. batteries... A set of jumper cables <laughs> and and your and your um uh and of course your battery charger. So um you hook up your battery charger, your AGM battery charger to your good battery, your good AGM battery. Mm -hmm. And then what you're gonna do, and, and so it's gonna see, okay, I've got a good battery here, I've got voltage. Okay, we're gonna charge this battery. And it starts charging. Now what you're gonna do is you're gonna hook up another battery to it. Positive, positive, negative to negative. We're gonna hook this up in parallel. And what we're going to do is now we're basically just doubling the capacitance of this battery. The battery charger is going to think that, oh, I've got a bigger battery hooked up, to, hooked up now. And I, it still sees that it still has that voltage and that resistance there good enough to start passing that voltage through. And so it's going to uh, pass that voltage through your good battery right on in to your bad battery and start charging it up. Now, you want to do this for maybe about 30 minutes and then go and check the batteries. Now you're going to check the, make sure you check the cables. You're going to check the battery. If things are like really super duper hot, probably want to go ahead and let this sit for a little while. And we'll come back to this after, after a bit. Now it will be warm. There will be some heat, but if you can touch the battery and hold your hand there for a good five count, yeah, you're just fine. Now, if you touch the battery and you burn yourself, well, obviously we're, we're, we have some issues here and your battery is by all <laughs> means way too far gone. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it, basically what we're doing here is we're just lying to the battery charger. We're tricking it to make it think that it has just one big battery hooked up to it, when in mm -hmm. fact we have two batteries hooked up to it, one that's 
relatively okay and the other one or really good and the other one is well not so good and we're just basically passing the voltage from one through one to the other and this is the way that you're going to bring back an old AGM battery that's either been sitting for a long time maybe it's been deep cycled too many times or just hasn't gotten a good enough charge during your regular daily commuting to really keep the juice back up in 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 the battery where it needs to be if you've got a short commute and, and you've got a big deep cycle battery like a red top Optima or a yellow top Optima or even a blue top Optima, you shouldn't be running those in an, yeah, in an automobile blue, though. Right. Um, then in which case, those batteries, the AGM batteries love juice. They like to see a lot of amperage. And if you've got a stock alternator and a big battery and a short commute, well, that battery is never going to see enough charging. It would almost benefit you to hook it up to a regular battery charger, a trickle charger, on an almost nightly basis at that point. But who wants to do that? Right. So if you can just every so often give your battery a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a charge, think about it like this, maybe once or twice a year, hooking it up, leaving it overnight, and giving that battery a good base charge once again, um, it will really help extend the life of the battery and also maybe prevent you from having to go buy another one here relatively soon. So I hope this guys hope this helps you, Tony, and I hope this helps you guys out there who have a bad battery and want to bring it back from the brink of death. I got a couple of questions for you, Josh. By all means, I knew that you would. Now, this uh, this uh, red top, I may have been affected by the alternator that went out uh, on my uh, 1998 Jeep Cherokee fairly recently. All right, let me let me push maybe, pause maybe right there. Maybe a month ago. Go ahead. What? How did the alternator go out? Was it the internal regulator that went out? Did it just go dead? What? Did it start spiking voltage? Did it just not charge the battery? What happened? Uh, the voltage went from uh, 13.8 to 9 volts, which on oh, the, the Cherokee yep. is zero. Yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> I mean, it could have been nine volts, but I I really suspect that it was you know just you know went zero is is what happened. And and, and side note, this is the same alternator I took down to O'Reilly's and they checked and said it was perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I got a warranty replacement and put it in, and of course it's back to thirteen point eight volts. Very good. So at any rate, uh, I went ahead and charged the red top uh, with my uh, handy dandy Walmart uh, battery charger. And uh, I know from personal experience, uh, recent personal experience, that you can put the charger on there and it will turn itself off whenever it gets to the uh, 12 volts on the battery. I don't know how it figures it out, uh, honestly, but I guess it takes it uh, when it gets, gets to that level for a certain length of time, it turns itself off. So that was all fine and good. I just left it on there and left, left it charging. Let I me did, ask you this. I does did not your go charger, when it, when it turns itself off, does it turn itself completely off or does it turn it to itself down to a trickle charge it does not it turns the charging section off there are no lights oh. indicating that it is charging oh interesting so i i guess you could call that trickle charge because that's kind of what a trickle charger does right it just turns itself on and off to keep the uh, to keep the no it, a, a trickle charge is actually a constant charge it? but it's at a very low amperage rating Okay. So it, a trickle charge will typically be two amps or less, where a regular charge will be around ten amps. So it could be still charging. I haven't put a meter on it, but it's like uh, it has a light for two amps, uh, eight amps, and twelve amps, I think. Uh, okay. And uh, none of those lights are on, and it's okay, not. And it, chances are, it's it's off, off. Yeah, and the fan is not running. So my yeah, my estimation off, was off. that it was not no longer charging. Anyway, the point that I was uh, getting to is is that I noticed that the battery was now expanded the oh, top by how much um less than a half an inch uh maybe that's that's a good amount of bulge it was, though that it was it was a lot of bulge and uh i was surprised the battery did not feel hot 
and uh, but I did not notice it before the charging, and I'm almost certain the charging is what caused it uh, to bulge. Now uh, I have to go back right. and look, uh, and, and keep in mind this is like a month, a month and a half ago. It's been working perfectly fine. Right, let me let me ask you: Was it was it an AGM charger? Uh, that was the the problem. Is that uh, it is an AGM charger, but I did not have it set for AGM. Ah, uh, okay, yeah that that might have been been the problem right there. Now charging a battery, and especially the way that I was talking about earlier there will be some heat involved. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about a lot of resistance. We're talking about a lot of capacitance. We're talking about, you know, there, there's a lot going on there. And you're basically making that battery charger work a little bit harder right. than it was designed to. Now, in your case, Tony, that wasn't, that wasn't it. But you were basically putting the wrong kind of um, electricity into that battery, or you're putting the electricity into that battery the wrong way. Well, that was going to be um, my, qu- my second question when I said questions is, yeah. what's the difference between charging it uh, for the, uh, you know, the re- a regular battery, a lead-acid battery, mm-hmm. and a AGM battery? What, what's the difference between those two? Okay, so... Uh, I mean, I know for, the difference. You explained the difference in batteries great in the main show, uh, which I wasn't aware of the fiberglass thing, but I don't understand why it's different. Okay, so um, even though electrolysis is still happening to a certain extent, and you know you have uh, the electrons moving from positive to negative, and that's how you're getting the the energy. Right. Um, it, so the electricity is being created by by the same chemical method, but in a different way. And because that because the dry cell batteries ha- typically have a little bit more resistance behind them than a uh, than a lead acid battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you just I'm picking them up. They're they're typically heavier and everything else. Um, but because of that, all electricity has a it has a a pattern to it, if you will. And that's why I was talking about the sine wave earlier. If you were to measure electricity, if you were to get a visual representation of what electricity looks like, it's going to look like waves. And there will be peaks and there will be dips and, and certain um, there'll be in, in some electricity, those peaks and dips are, are square. And in some electricity, those peaks and dips are rounded. And that's the difference that we're talking about here is the way that the electricity is, is generated and fed into the battery. And, and so we're talking about an, an alternating current here. And when that sine wave goes up, it, it, in, 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 it will start coming back down. There's, there's some things that happen during that alternation of that current. Well, let me, let and, me, let me and well, it, get you to stop there for a second because uh, a battery is a direct current, which batteries it will current, have uh, ups and downs, but it's always positive. So it doesn't really, it's not really a sine wave. You may have choppy, uh, a choppy output from the, uh, from the, um, the battery charger, uh, but it, it doesn't go negative. So there's no sine waves to it. I'm, th- I'm wondering if maybe the AGM battery requires, there's no sensor uh, on the battery, so it can't determine no, the heat it's, it's not, or anything it's, like it's that. All, it's all internal. So, so it, that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying is, is that this, this electricity going, in, going into the battery is going to be put into, uh, it's going to have a different pattern to it. Now, you, it's positive, positive, negative is negative. But you, for instance, you wouldn't be able to, to run your car or a device off of a battery charger even though it is putting juice into the battery, and it's this technically the same kind of juice, um, but it's being applied in a different way. Right. Well, they don't, they don't clean it up to make it pure DC. 
uh, a battery uh, acts as a capacitor, so it can actually filter or clean up those That's little right. those little va valleys in there. All right. Well, so anyway, uh, basically, uh, AGM setting is the better setting to do. Uh, and earlier, when you were talking about having those two AGM batteries uh, hooked up, it would need to be regular setting or AGM setting. AGM. Okay, yeah, good. Any, yeah, AGM so, all the way. So let me ask you this: If there's a special AGM setting on the charger, why can I put an AGM battery in my Jeep? And it doesn't have an AGM setting. I mean, I don't think that it knows it's AGM. No, because the devices that are pulling the electricity out of the battery. Oh no, no I'm talking about charging. Don't care. I'm talking about the alt end air and the charging system. It seems like it would damage the oh, battery just like uh, a, a no, battery because, charger. Uh, all all alternators made after what is it, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety it's somewhere around the nineties. They all have the, that internal regulator built in, and so that that regulator basically smooths those dips and peaks and everything else out. It cleans things up, it smooths it out, and, and it produces that, that, that voltage that the battery can see and that the vehicle can run off of. So even though the alternator can produce electricity that the, that the vehicle can run off of, a battery charger won't. Maybe it's a cleaner. Maybe it's a, you know, when you were talking about those, those peaks and valleys and stuff, maybe the, uh, the alternator makes it cleaner, and that's the AGM needs that and the older style batteries can uh, deal with those little dips, the, the choppiness of the voltage, the, the voltage dropping slightly because it's uh, uh, it's not a real clean uh, DC output. I'm going to go with that. We'll have to do some research on that, or I will anyway, to see uh, what that is because I was just really surprised that, the, uh, that that battery uh, ballooned up a little bit, and uh, I need to check it because I think it's gone back down. Yeah, I'd be curious to curious to know about uh, about that. I'm I'm wondering if it was just a temporary heat swell, and mm -hmm. once everything cooled off, you know, I mean, even though you touched the battery and it wasn't hot, there might have been some internal heat that you couldn't feel. I mean, there's there's a lot of casing on those batteries. Could have even uh, been some uh, some gas buildup in there as well. And exactly. So now lead acid batteries they off gas. They actually have. Um, vents ports on yeah. them, vents. Yeah, that 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 the sulfuric uh, the the sulfuric gas can can escape through. Lead or the uh, the it's AGM style batteries, they have more of like a little. I mean, they they are sealed for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes, but they do have the ability to off gas. But it's through a membrane. Um, it almost oh. looks like a like a stone, like pumice, right. almost kind of a one way um, thing. Yeah, and it is. It is. It's basically like a, like a one way valve, you know. For but. And a, a pretty good amount of pressure has to be built up before that even comes into play. So, but nonetheless, I'm still curious to see if that swelling has gone down or not. If it hasn't, Tony, I might say that it's time for that battery to um uh to to go get a uh, core charge on it. You know, to swap that out. You know, five bucks I'll, for it or whatever. Uh, yeah, you know, I'll have to uh, put those pictures that I took because I took two or three pictures of where it was, it was swelled. It's it's kind of like taking pictures off road whenever you're going to go down the. Oh, yeah, you uh, don't really get it, doesn't it, do it a whole hard, lot of justice. Yeah, it's hard to see the the differences, but uh, you can see where it is a uh, swelled. Uh, it's not a half inch; it, it might be a quarter of an inch, if that. Well, you you do have two you do have two uh, batteries, and they're both red tops, so they might uh, be good for comparison's sake. I don't, That's I don't very know. true. That's very true. I could put them side by side once I get them out. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the the takeaway from this is go over to JeepTalkForum.com. And uh, look for those pictures. I, I guess. Uh, hmm. I guess we well, can put I just, this in tech I did talk. just post up. I did just post up over at uh, JeepTalkForum.com um, today's uh, tech talk about battery selection. So uh, there is a new thread over there. I suppose you could um, throw it in oh, there with yeah. that. So uh, hey, did you want to? I know you had said that uh, you were wanting to mention that uh, the interview. 
uh, along with the Wheeling Wear and Euphra. Did you want to throw that in here? Yeah, guys. Uh, so, hey, uh, we, we're talking about uh, Trail Hero in Wheeling Wear, and, and that event is currently going on as we were recording this. Um, so we just did an interview with the president of Trail Hero, the founder of this. Now, his family is basically the generation who started organized, sanctioned off-road racing. I mean, this is, without his bloodline, <laughs> off-road racing as we know it may not have ever been started. So, I mean, it is really cool how far back this goes into his family and, and just how much they've been involved in off-road racing. It is an amazing interview, and I really want you guys to check it out. Um, and just the details surrounding the event Trail Hero alone are going to blow your mind. Everything that is involved around this off-road event, which is there has been nothing like it to this, uh, uh, to, to this, to this day. Um, this is a first of its kind. It has been engineered to be the world's most insane off-road event ever. And, uh, and this will be the, the new bar set as far as off-road competition goes. So if you guys are interested in that stuff at all, I highly recommend checking out this interview. It's good stuff nonetheless. And if you want to see some really cool stuff, head over to thetrailhero.com. Check out that event and just everything that it has to offer. Trust me, you're going to be cashing in your vacation time next year. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for it in uh, iTunes or on your phone, if you use uh, like podcast addiction or, or whatever, just look for I 10 or I period 10, which is our 10th interview. Uh, since we just re- redid the numbering system, uh, <laughs> we've done more than 10. I say, I'm pretty sure we've done more than <laughs> <Yeah>. that. But. <laughs> I thought about that after I said it. Anyway, look for I 10 uh, interview with Rich Klein of Trail Hero. And, uh, yeah, I did spell it. I, I think I was spelling it uh, trial at first of trial. Oh, hero. Yeah, no, so we want to try out too. the heroes <laughs> before we actually, <laughs> before we actually embrace the hero. So yeah, just, so just look for I 10 interview with rich Klein, uh, trail hero. And I'll, I'll just mention, we already have, uh, 889 downloads of that uh, interview, Josh. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys Tuesday. Don't forget about our Jeep talk call-in show with uh, Tammy and I, and Josh promises that he's going to try really hard to call in. I mean, all he has to do is dial, right? So maybe it'll happen. Down, I got to write down those numbers because there's a lot of numbers to memorize. Oh, isn't there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. But, the, you know, free is free. We, hey, if you guys get <laughs> a few more subscriptions out of you people, we might actually be able to afford an 800 number. <laughs> yes. Let's make it simpler on all of us. <laughs> I promise you. All right. You guys have a great night. Thanks for sticking with us.